Welcome back, everybody. Today, I have a very special guest. We have Daniel, the one, the only steak and iron and corgis. Let's talk to him. Good Thanks so much, afternoon. Daniel, for being here. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, man. Good to talk with you. Yeah. When I started this podcast, you were one of the people that I wanted to have on uh, first. <laughs> So just took a little while to get around to getting making it happen. Yeah, it's an honor. Um, I, I, you know, find it hard to turn down opportunities to talk about myself. So I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> I first heard you on Fahad's podcast a couple years ago over on uh, Keto Geek. And then I've been following you ever since yeah. on Twitter and all the fun that you have over there. Yeah, Fahad is a good guy. And that was a good conversation. I think we got into a little bit more of the uh, the philosophy of uh, of suffering and of the circle of life and a lot of kind of deeper conversations that they got involved in in uh, uh, sort of health and nutrition space. It was a good chat. Fahad's a good guy. Yeah, he's supposedly coming back. He made a post on Twitter the other day that he's uh, kind of going to start recording his podcast again. So I'm looking forward to those. That's good. He's a good interviewer. Yeah, he's uh, asked some very smart questions. I like the guy. I think I'll try to get him on here and grill him a little bit. So I want to just touch base. I mean, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to touch base with you, kind of get an idea of how you kind of got started in this whole like keto carnivore, that lifestyle that we're all sort of diving into. Sure, I'm going to show you a picture. Is this going to be uh, this is going to be on video too, right? Yes. Let me show you something. Uh, I got my driver's license renewed a little bit ago. And for some reason, I have more recent photos than this. I can get my wallet out of my pocket. But they put the photo of me from when I was 20. I'm 35 now. Put a picture of me when I was 20 on my license. And you see, I look a little bit different in that yeah, photo than I do now. Yeah, it looks like completely different now, people. Like, if I was a cop, I'd be like, why do you have this guy's ID? <laughs> It's fun. There's a couple places where I've gone and I've bought, uh, um, you know, wine and stuff at, and they've they've had to like give that a second look. Be like, all right, <laughs> you know, what's your birthday? Okay, at least you memorize whatever's on the car. Right? Um, yeah. So I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm an engineer by education, and and I also live in Northern California, which by a lot of measures is one of the most expensive places in the world to live. Uh, and I also moved out when I was very young. Well, young compared to a lot of people, I moved out when I was 18. So. Um, you know, I'm living away from home. I'm paying my own way. I'm working at least two jobs at any given time. Um, and I'm taking a full entering college load. And that takes up a tremendous amount of time and a tremendous amount of energy. And there's only so much focus that a person has. And you know, I admire people that can kind of, you know, wake up at 4 a.m. and go do this, plan their day, you know, have everything organized and be perfect. And, you know, their hair is done and their face is shaved and everything. And that's not really me. I've got, you know, limited mental resources uh, at all times. So um, really what I had to focus on was the day-to-day -day survival of getting my studies done, moving towards my degree, completing my coursework, doing my actual work, and budgeting enough money to pay for my rent and um, you know necessary expenses like you know enough calories to keep me alive. And a lot of times that meant whatever. Um, I would actually had to deal with the person who owned the local Starbucks uh, where they would throw out a lot of the old uh, donuts and uh, cookies and stuff, frozen breakfast sandwiches and stuff at the end of the day, I would get them. Um, I would uh, go to 10 for 10 deals for things like, you know, boxed mashed potatoes and 
um, chocolate cake uh, at Safeway when they'd you know, be a dollar each and you know, live on chocolate cake for a week because of what I had. Um, and eventually I got out of college and realized I had spent, you know, four or five years, four and a half years, crafting uh, a mind of a marketable and a set of skills, you know, that revolved around time management and organization of, of information, but really had done absolutely nothing for me as a physical being. I was uh, quite overweight. I mean, I, 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 luckily I was still pretty young. Um, so, you know, I didn't get to the point of, you know, uh, of some people have a lot of work to do. I was about 240 pounds at my largest. I'm five foot nine. Um, I uh, was subject to frequent nosebleeds, back pain, foot pain. You know, I was getting into size 42 pants, which are um, maybe, you know, admitted started to get to the board. Like they would have to start shopping specialty stores and stuff. And um, once I had the degree in hand and I had a sort of career path that I could see ahead of me, I said, okay, I need to focus on myself now. And I've got time and money to do that. And that was a, that was a privilege at that point. So I said, okay, why, what is, what is health? What do they even mean? Right. I don't, I don't know what healthy is. I had never been taught what was healthy. You know, I was raised as a kid from on, you know, uh, Stouffer's lasagna and that kind of stuff. My mom really didn't cook. Um, but what is carbohydrate? What is a fat? What is a protein? Are these important? Do I need to know the difference? Um, you know, is rice the same thing as pasta? Is our beans proteins? Uh, I don't know. So I said, okay, what do I want to do? I want to look good. Who looks good? Bodybuilders look good. So I'll go into bodybuilder forms. And I started to learn about, you know, what do they do to look the way they do? Okay, well, measure what they eat. What do they eat? Well, it sounds like a lot of kind of regular advice. You eat protein to build your muscles. You eat uh, carbs from things like rice to have energy. And you eat just barely enough to eat more vitamins. And you have big heavy. Okay. So I got on a weightlifting program. I can't remember if starting strength or strong lifts was the first one I was on. But one of these kind of high weight, low rep um, programs. And couldn't even complete the the you know the 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 sequences that you're supposed to do because my body just was too tired i did not have energy to complete in the warm-up of each individual exercise so it wasn't like i mean i was always physically strong i could always pick stuff up and move it around but i'd be i was just gassed like i could i could barely lift my arm i could barely walk i got the car that kind of stuff and i said shoot this is a lot of work i got a lot of work ahead of me and i gotta lose weight and now i'm working out so i'm hungry i'm so hungry you know i'm supposed to eat this much but i won't eat this much and then buried in one of the nutritional subcategories on this website was this thing called keto. And I only learned about ketones from, like, I had to take a couple organic chemistry classes as part of uh, um, my degree. And that's all the reason I'd ever even heard the word before. And I heard these people, they're eating, you know, hamburgers and, and, and cauliflower and stuff. And they're dropping 100 or 200 pounds. And they kept saying that they're not hungry and that they have a lot of energy to work out and they can go do hard ones. And like I even going back to when I was a kid, you know, in gym class or, you know, uh, you know, PE, you know, grade school and stuff, going and running a half mile or, you know, even running the, the laps around the track to warm up the game. I was completely gassed, out of breath, gasping. I got tested for asthma. It was so bad. I didn't have asthma. I just did not have good cardiovascular fitness ever. Uh, even a young child, obesity. So uh, I said, this sounds kind of interesting. 
I tried a lot of other things up to this point. You know, I, I tried, you know, more like uh, plant-based sort of things, gluten-free, you know, you know, black bean bronies, all that kind of crap. And none of it really made me feel very good. I did like a raw vegan thing for a while. All they did was just make me upset in the stomach and give me diarrhea all the time. I said, all right, fine, let's try this keto thing. Um, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And then, I mean, it just like clicked, right? It's like, okay, my body is supposed to do this. Because all of a sudden, I, I could just, I mean, within days, I, I had enough energy to be able to go through and do the entire workout as laid out in plan. And come home and sleep well. And wake up and not be hungry the next day. You know, so I'm going to eat, uh, you know, I've got the, this, this chicken, this much rock, and this much whatever. I'm going to eat for the day. And I eat that, I'm fine. And this was a totally new sensation to me. And within a month, I dropped like 15, 20 pounds. And I've lost, I think everyone who's, who's, who's big has lost weight at some point. Like I, think, I think people that are big are experts in losing 10 pounds and then regaining it, losing it, right? But it's always been a grind. And then I did that, and it was effortless. And I just kind of sat back, and, you know, for, I'm buying, you know, my pants are getting loose. I got to go, you know, go down a notch or two in my belt, and I go, there's something to this. This is different. This is not... This is not like those other things I was trying. So then I'm like, okay, I'm a nerd, right? I'm, I am a nerd. I, I, uh, I've got an extra nature. I'm still a nerd. And I wanted to be like, why does this work? Why is this not what we're just telling people? And at first I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe I am killing myself. Know, maybe I'm to give myself a heart attack if I eat eggs or whatever. At least I'll die leaving a pretty corpse. That was kind of like my justification for it. Like, I don't really care right now. I'm 25. I'm probably not going to have a heart attack within the next five years as I get healthy. But if I do, whatever, I'll look nice at the funeral. Um, but then I started reading, you know, Gary Taubes. I started reading uh, Jimmy Moore. And I started reading uh, Eric Westman. I started reading um, really anything I can get my hands on. And then I started kind of wrestling with the ethics of these things. You know, I've got a very sort of nonviolent political stance. Um, and I read, you know, the Eric Heath and the vegetarian myth. And some of these books by like, you know, Alan Savory and, and regenerative farming and how you can do these things and have the meat consumption that can be done ethically, can be done intelligently and can be good for both yourself and the world around you. And I said, okay, this is, this is all sustainable on all levels for me. You know, this is how I want to live my life. Um, and then I got on Twitter because I, I had all these, these interesting people, these doctors and these authors and uh, people that you know, I had questions for. I would talk to them and be like, what do you think of this? What about that? Have, have we tried this? Do we have data on that? Um, and Twitter has a very interesting format that I can reach out to somebody directly. I don't have a gatekeeper um, that I would, you know, if I went to like office or whatever, I'd probably have to talk to a receptionist. And maybe we schedule an appointment or whatever. But in Twitter, I just say, hey, you, um, what do you think about this thing? You know, uh, you think about you know, this chemical or this, this practice or this fasting method or whatever. What have you heard? And get instant responses from these people. That was really cool. And because the response is so instantaneous, and the content is so compressed by nature of Twitter, the haters came, right? So these are these, you know, militant vegans and the, the PETA crowd and the um, carbaholics, the people that are just absolutely against low-carb for whatever reason, 
I mean, I don't know why. There's some people who are, you know, big in the bodybuilding communities, whatever, who think that not only does low carb not work for anybody, which clearly it does, but there's a wrong way of doing it and nobody should be doing it. And if you did it and it worked for you, I'm just going to completely dismiss your experience for whatever reason. And I don't take kindly to that. Like, oh, you, you did a thing in your experience in your life. You are wrong. No, get bent. You know, I'm going to take you right to the cleaners. Um, you know, I, I'm going to have fun doing it because, you know, on the other side of the computer, you can't do anything. So, yeah, then I got this you know, kind of reputation as an attack dog and, and having fun with people that were just being, you know, mindless, dogmatic idiots um, spouting whatever kind of uh, BS that uh, Mike Grieger had vomited up week before. And um, I had a lot of fun doing that, <laughs> I'll be honest. But um, that got me also involved in talking to a lot more people with a lot more perspective. And I think that... Um, you know, uh, I've become involved in um, a lot of more uh, self-experimentation, um, trying different things. Um, you know, of course, eventually led to uh, me trying a, a carnivorous diet. It's you know, strict carnivorous diet. I was you know, fairly heavy on the animal. I've gone back, kind of back and forth between uh, having a lot of plants and having a little bit of plants, but had the most success eating a lot of meat. Um, the try carnivore I thought was stupid. It's like you're you're a grown man. Eat your damn vegetables, right? But then I was kind of like, but why? <laughs> that's, 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 I mean, that's such a dogmatic response, though, right? That you got to eat your vegetables. It's such like, <clears throat> I mean, that's such a dogmatic response that we're so ingrained in. If you're not yeah. eating your vegetables, then you're not healthy. Yeah. And there's like, oh, you won't get such and such nutrient. Well, which nutrient? What, what am I going to be deficient in? Uh, folate. Well, I eat eggs. Uh, why me? Vitamin A. Well, that's all in eggs and meat too. Uh, well, you're not going to have something. And it's like, well, I mean, maybe vitamin C, but here's a study that says if I'm not eating carbs, I don't really need that much vitamin C. I can replace it. You know, and if we're talking about antioxidant activity, glutathione, you know, beats vitamin C 10 times out of 10. And I got nothing to stop me from making as much glutathione as I need. So, you know, the argument four plants just kind of came slimmer and slimmer and decided to give it a shot and really one reason I don't stay strict carnival is because I don't need to um and, and it'd be close to the idea that wait a minute plants as I mean even plants we've that we've bred you know we've got there's such things broccoli in nature right we, we invent broccoli we, we bred broccoli from the muscle plant um to be what it is now but even then that plant wants to survive and it can't run away, and it can't stab you, and it can't uh, bore you with horns or bite you. So it has to have some kind of defense. And maybe we have an evolutionary characteristic that allows us to help deal with that plant uh, defense system. But is everybody as good at it as everybody else? Like, I know people who get stung by bees, and they're fine. And I know people who get stung by bees, and they die. Or a peanut. We can pick anything else in the world. There's somebody totally dumb and somebody is not. Why is that not the case with, you know, the defense chemicals we find in, in you know, broccoli and kale and spinach? Could, that was one of the most interesting things that I found. Like I was listening to a podcast one time and they were talking about the chemical that's in broccoli <laughs> and how certain kids will pick up on it. A lot of kids pick up on it and they can't stand the taste of it. That's why broccoli tastes so gross to kids because they taste that chemical, which is that defense mechanism mm -hmm. you're talking about. And 
there's a certain people that just can't taste that chemical. Yeah. So broccoli just takes normal to them. And that was like so fascinating because all this time, like kids like broccoli tastes bad. And parents, again, back to that dogmatic, that dogmatic idealism where you got to eat your broccoli and I don't care. It's good for you. But if it tastes mm -hmm. gross, why would you make your kid eat it? Yep. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, you think about the um, taste that humans have, they exist for a reason. Like you can taste salt because salt is really damn important to the point like that was currency for a very long part of human history, right? Salt is extremely important. Uh, sourness, you can taste it is going to burn your esophagus. But a little bit of it, maybe you're dealing with a fermented product that might have a beneficial bacterial strain, something like that. Um, you can taste sweetness, something that's going to have a lot of energy in it, you know, right fruit or whatever. You need to you know, get that now because that's not going to be here in a week. That's going to be rotten in a week. Uh, bitter is universally, as far as I can tell, I can't that if you have too much of it, it will harm you, right? If you have to, like uh, take a, a pill, an aspirin or Tylenol or whatever, and if you chew it up, it tastes terrible. And that's not something they put in the pill. That's just the taste of the acetaminophen or the aspirin or the chemicals in it. Because if you have too much of that, you will die. That's, I mean, that's, you know, I say that poison is, is in the dose, right? And that's what bitter tastes are for. I mean, there's a balance of bitter you can have, and it can be, be pleasurable in the very same way, you know, having your head scratched feels nice, but if you have your head scratched with a you know, handful of knives, it probably doesn't feel nice. But there's, you know, that, that taste is there to protect you. Bitterness is, the detective bitterness is, is you, you know, your little superior in your mouth telling you there might be something for this, you know, in this thing that I'm eating that is not good. Even if you have something rotten, it'll taste bitter. It'll have a burn to it. Right? I mean, the, the toxins that the bacteria are creating is they're um, rotting the meat or, you know, rancidifying the meat. They taste bitter. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's like, oh, I mean, because it took me a long time to get to where I enjoy eating broccoli or I, I didn't eat broccoli or Brussels sprouts, uh, anything like that till about a year or so into being on the ketogenic diet to begin with. I never wanted to eat that stuff when I was little or, you know, I remember seeing a commercial for um, broccoli and cheese. It was probably a Velveeta commercial or something. They're pouring that creamy, melty cheese over broccoli. And I'm like, that looks awesome. So my mom went out got some cheese, poured it over broccoli, and I took a bite, and I'm like, Ugh. it was it was disgusting. She was obviously enraged. She went out, and she had bought the broccoli. She got the cheese. She made it for me, and then when I took that first bite, it was disgusting. Like, I couldn't imagine mm -hmm. something with cheese on it tasting bad, but there we were, and now I love broccoli. I go and buy, I go to Kroger, which is a local grocery store here. They have like the super fine chopped up broccoli frozen in the bag for like 99 cents and I'll buy, they usually mm -hmm. do 10 for 10 on those or whatever. And I'll mm -hmm. buy a cart full of those and load my freezer up with that. We've got three freezers in the house. So we've always got plenty of that stuff around, but that was something that when I was a kid was not a thing. I mean, I grew up in a house with a uh, normal meal for us was like ultra sweet, like uh, cooked carrots like with brown sugar and fish sticks with, you know, ketchup, or we would make the Chef Boyardee homemade pizzas. You know, vegetables weren't really a thing in my house because they were gross. We, 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 did, we did a fair amount of vegetables, but a lot of it was just from a can. And it actually brings something interesting, too, is that um, 
you know, one of the things I like uh, in general is sort of how did, how did things end up the way they are now? Because um, it's, it's just interesting to see the origins of things. If we look at food preparation of your grandparents' days, right? And this is something you'll see even if you go to visit like an old school Italian restaurant or something. The triple dishes are cooked completely to mush. Why is that? Why did people always cook vegetables way down before? And the, the, the whole like al dente is a relatively new phenomenon. Why is that? Did, did they, you know, were they all stupid? Is that They cook is, to taste, you know, right? Well, they, they cook out all the bitterness and whatever is understood that, you know, these uh, phytic acid compounds and things, they break down when you heat them up. And, you know, I, I think that's funny. We've kind of abandoned that. Uh, this idea that, uh, you know, maybe you are supposed to, you know, boil your broccoli or whatever you're going to eat if you're going to eat it um, until it's mush. And if you look at like old recipe books, which I have, because um, I also like the history of, of cooking, um, in, in terms of recipes and see like all the weird shit people used to eat, you know, <laughs> take a, a whole goose and flip it inside out and stuff it full of eggs and those wacky shit they did back in Europe. There was not really a mention of vegetables as food until relatively recently. Like you'd have some plants that were like, oh, you know, if you're constipated or if you've got, uh, you, uh, you know, uh, 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 acid reflux or something, then you can have this herb or this vegetable or whatever and you cook this way and you mix it with this and it'll make you feel better. But they were basically used as medicine or just as a way to use up leftover animal fat. And that was it. You know, you took your, your kale or your spinach or your, um, even your Chinese, so you got your gailan or your, um, what, they, what they call it, um, and these other Chinese vegetables. And they were just used to soak up oil um, because you just can't, well, you know, car, carnivores can't. But most people don't just take big spoonfuls of, of, of pork fat and eat it, right? Like it's rather unpalatable, a little weird, and, you know, there may be, you know, other things that you can do with it. And there may be the adding extra fat does help make some of the vitamins more bioavailable and, you know, absorb into the fat better. Maybe they know something about that. I don't know. But I always find that kind of interesting is that you don't really see these things start to happen until we get into these weird sort of um, plant-based, no animal cultish, you know, uh, Kellogg, Ellen G. White type, you know, um, uh, Graham, Sort of weirdos, you know, in the late 1800s. That stuff didn't exist before then, um, really outside of any kind of a religious context. Now, I thought that was very interesting. At least I couldn't find anything about it um, when I've looked. Everything was, you have your meat, you have your potatoes, you have some vegetable dip, you use all the, all the beef drippings, and that's it. So, you know. I mean, I even learned how to cook from my great-grandmother. She would always keep, you know, she was a proponent. She always had... You know, she always had the bacon grease on the stove. She taught me how to cook my eggs. I'm like five years old, and I would learn how to cook at her house. So I would go to my yep. great-grandmother's house, and we would – I'd get up in the morning, and I would make myself eggs, some bacon, you know, hmm. and maybe have some cereal or something, you know. But, you know, she was uh, – you know, that whole bacon grease on the stove thing, that – you know, I mean, I don't know how many people do that now. That's kind of a – it's kind of a very rare phenomenon. And you yeah. were talking well, about – yeah, go ahead. I've got uh, I got as a gift my wife gave me this little silicone bacon grease holder um, with a shape like a pig. <laughs> so that sits on my stove. I'm very proud oh, to have that. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. A little strainer built in the top so you don't get the bacon chunks. Uh, you just pour it straight out of the pan into it. 
It's great. It's hilarious. You see it just sitting right there and you know exactly what it is. I kind of feel bad because like one of my main bacon grease containers is a coffee mug that says Shalom on it all the way around. <laughs> it just, and, and it wasn't on purpose. It just happened to be the coffee mug that I grabbed out of the paint. But I look at it a little ironic. A little ironic. Yeah, I've got that one for my, my daily use. And then I've got the surplus that's in the fridge. And you were talking too about like how if you even look at plants, like plants that we eat now, like broccoli, cauliflower, all that stuff, all these things are from the same plant. So like broccoli, yeah. I'm, and I always can get and like spinach. America and didn't stuff even confused, have broccoli. America didn't even have broccoli until the 1950s. That was not even part of the American diet. The Italian immigrants brought that over in the 1950s. You know, before then, we we had cabbage. And that's about Which it. is still, I mean, the same really plant, still the same plant as broccoli. It's still the same plant. It's funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's like the, uh, the the dog of plants, right? You can have a child. St. Bernard is the same animal. And then you've got broccoli and cabbage is the same plant. And Brussels but, sprouts um, and uh, asparagus, yeah, yeah. maybe. I, I was getting confused. I know there's like five or six different ones that are all the same. Kale. Kale is the same plant. Asparagus, I think, is its own thing. But yeah, uh, yeah kale, uh, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, broccoli, um, uh, mustard greens, I think something, I think certain kinds of char might actually be the same plant too. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a versatile plant. It grows everywhere. It's frost tolerant. Um, so, I mean, it makes sense that it kind of has gotten all over the place and it's been selectively bred to do all these different things. But if we're talking about, you know, eating the rainbow or having, you know, a big variety of foods and you've got your, your cauliflower and you've got your, your broccoli and you've got your everything else, it's like, well, you're not actually getting variety there, are you? <laughs> so maybe maybe don't say anything about you know me eating steak and eggs every day, right? Oh, most people aren't really doing any better. I mean, it's, I mean, if you want, I mean, yeah, you've got like your white creatures. meat, your dark meat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we were talking a, about something on Twitter the other the day. Yep. And it was like, and something I've been wondering about myself, and I know I've asked a couple different people. But there's like the whole thing where like if, if there's not a study, then it doesn't matter. If there's like anecdotal evidence doesn't mean anything to a certain group of people. Where so like yeah. if you have anecdotal evidence, so something that I've seen personally in myself, that would be anecdotal evidence. And that doesn't really mean anything in context of everybody else, which I understand the idea behind that. And but I understand I kinda, that I studies are important, right? That one, yeah. I do have to kind of go back and forth on this, right? Um, Let's, if you look at a few, you know, bits of data in, in the actual past, there was never, a, you know, a, a clinical trial that said that cigarette smoking actually, you know, causes cancer in humans. Like they didn't take a bunch of humans, give a bunch of cigarettes and give a bunch of not cigarettes because that'd be unethical to do that. Like given uh, people cancer, um, you know, I think you need to be pretty deep in the government to have the authorization to do that, right? So you have to like just take the knowledge from what you can observe and, and build from there and you can get you know can you call it science i don't know if you can call it science but you can call it pretty close if you have you know 10 people to do something and then you get the same result okay that's interesting if you have 10,000 people do it and they will get similar results and then you have to at least go well something's happening here can we at least ask why and like it annoys me how many people don't ask why because yeah, a study would need to be funded, and who's going to make money on a study that says bacon is good for you? The pork lobby is not that damn big, right? I mean, right. they're not, they're not going to 
you're not going to put forth, you know, millions of dollars of studies and, and you know, a million dollars in 18 months or whatever to get go through, you know, approvals and all this other kind of stuff. And then just ha just to be dismissed as soon as they go for a peer review because, oh, you've got the, um, what do you call it, the um, public divisions because it's funded by the pork lobby or whatever, right? They're not going to do it. Um, but we can have these people do these experiments and, and come forward and say, well, I did this and this is what happened. And you do it and it doesn't. Okay, well, then that's a good piece of data too. Like if you go on um, some of the carnivore uh, communities, there are a lot of people that go carnivore and immediately gain a bunch of weight. I thought that was kind of interesting. What's happening there? That's kind of unusual. Why is that? And then the pattern seems to be that if they gain a bunch of weight, it comes off later. And it goes down. Why is that? That's interesting. You know, if we only did a if we did a trial, it's only going to be a month or two. So okay, everybody goes. You know, so we got fifty percent of people going to gain weight. Why would anybody do that? Well, that's all the money we had to study for. So that's all we found out. So I, I think that having these large online data, I don't know if it's called databases, structured right. But these communities of people who at least can can say, here's what I did, and if you want to do it, here's how I did, and you can try to do it the same way and see what happens. That's kind of how I try to offer up everything I do. Is it science? No, it is not science, but it's that doesn't mean it's not valuable either, right? I mean, I'd say that, you know, I quit smoking or whatever because I'd wake up every morning and I'd stand on one foot and I'd do my ABCs. Okay, well, maybe it works for me. Maybe, maybe another 100 people do that and it works for them. Is there any reason why? No, but it worked. Who cares? No, what works for one person and works for somebody else might be different, but if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, well, then you get your data point there. Go try something else. You know? Yeah, and I, I mean, and I know that there's a lot of people out there that want to, and to me, it almost seems counter counterproductive to like helping people. And I understand that there's going to be like the uh, like the study police out there. Well, there's not a study on that. So you making that claim because there's not a study supporting it, then we can't then there's no validity to it. And then 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 there because we you know that there are the people out there who will make fun of people and call them zealots and do all kinds of stuff like that just because there isn't a study that can prove that or they have a study that says, well, that's not true. But then there's yeah. all these people coming forward saying, but it actually did work for me. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where you got to have, you know, a little bit of sort of nuance with it, right? Like all that stuff that people swear the science backs up and, and works and is the best thing in the world. Like, I just want that. The, the high saturated fat, um, uh, the, the steric acid and everything else, right? It didn't work at all. Not even a little bit for me. Um, very, very high fat keto did not work for me. And some people say it just kills their hunger. Did not for me. High protein keto, high protein animal based keto specifically, or even high protein with a lot of, you know, volume of, uh, you know, high, high, um, high water content vegetables, volume eating kind of stuff. That's actually worked very well for me. And some people say, oh, you're not, you know, it's not satiety, you're just stuffed. And I'm saying, no, I know what stuffed is, and I'm not. It's just, it, I don't know, maybe it spreads all the protein around inside of my belly and I can detect it better or something. I don't know, but it works. So, you know, I, I take these things with a grain of salt and I say, well, 
maybe we're not all just carbon copying each other, guys. Maybe we all have achieved our, our health and our health problems for different reasons. You know, I got obese really not eating that much in the way of, you know, seed oils. And we have people that, that seem to indicate that, oh, the seed oils, the soybean oils or whatever else are the reason you got fat. Well, I didn't eat a lot of that stuff. I didn't eat a lot of, like, cakes and cookies. I ate a lot of ice cream and cheese. I kind of wonder, and, too, and, like, I wonder, too, like, so if you look back at human history, like, humans kind of evolved living in small groups, tribes, and you figure that in those groups, there was a lot of probably more in intermingling than there is, obviously, now. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. incest and stuff like that, but I'm just saying, like, you know, they were very... I don't, I mean, it, but you know what I'm saying? There was like, you know, like a groups of a hundred, maybe 200 tops for like a large tribe or whatever. And all those people mm -hmm. were living together, basically eating all the same foods. And I imagine most of them having similar outcomes. And then we moved to today where we're living in mega cities of millions and millions of people. And so now all those little bitty tribes, so to speak, have grown mixed across the country and now we're living in these huge groups and so now instead of living in a small tribe where everybody is used to eating you know this style of pig this style of cow these handful of vegetables that they would grow or or these things in their area that they could find that grew wild or whatever now we're moving into the societies that we're into today where we have anything and everything year round that we want to eat and it's affecting us adversely too right it is you know a, a big part of uh i think a lot of from it, it all comes back to the idea that we are in an environment that is pretty different from the one that we you know we spent the last two million years in right um, and that can mean a lot of things. Some people say, oh, it's because we're too sedentary. Mm, I don't know. I think the rate of membership may, may contradict that. But the, the food environment is, is an interesting one. And you could even say, quote, unquote, healthy food environment for one person may not be a healthy food environment for another, right? Um, there's a lot of people who are surrounded by carbs and eat a lot of carbs and even processed stuff. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people who are, you know, Frankly, you know, they're from, they're, you know, uh, first generation people here from Japan or from China, from Taiwan, um, who far like can tell eat nothing but food and are still very slim. And I know that if I would eat like that, I mean, I would not be able to eat the small amounts that they do because I would be starving. Um, so something is different in, in the way that they process the food than the way I do. And that's why I really don't like the one size fits all equation. Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense that there would be a single unified human diet that is perfect. There may be one that's good. Um, I think that something like a lemon diet, uh, you know, as I say a lion diet, red meat, salt and water is probably pretty decent um, to at least set a baseline to understand what you might be uh, not able to process well as you add things back in. I think, but I don't think virtually anybody needs to actually stick to that um, or that's even ideal. Um, 100% for, for most people. Um, again, it comes back to nuance. Try things, change things. If it's not working, do something different, you know? Right. I mean, I know that you all hear, you know, even, you know, vegans, when someone goes like, 
like a strict raw vegan or they go strict vegan, but they're not eating a lot of the processed, like, like vegan meats and all that stuff. That's just all kinds of stuff thrown in together into a pot and then shaped. Right. Then they feel mm -hmm. better when, than when they were eating meat and well, basically when a lot of people say that they were eating meat, they're eating McDonald's or fast food. They're not eating yeah. like steak and stuff like that. They were eating, subway and whatever right so when they stop yeah. eating that kind of stuff and they go to like a vegan diet chances are they're going to feel better because they're not putting as much trash in their body right and i, I actually have a theory about at least some forms of vegan diet and this is the, the kind of vegan diet that's really like vegetable vegan diet is that there's so little energy that your body's able to get out of these foods that you're effectively fasting and if you've ever done like an extended fast um, you do get this kind of euphoria. You get this kind of like lightness. And um, I mean, it's, it's almost, I think euphoria is a good way to put it. It's, it's, it's almost drug-like. It's, it's kind of like this bubbliness in your head. Uh, you feel good. You know, you feel like you feel clear. You feel energized. You feel like you're, you're ready to rock and roll. And um, I think that a lot of it might be just, the, you know, people who go on these uh, vegan diets and they're missing some kind of uh, either energy level or uh, key uh, amino acid that your body is now from itself and going into like an um, autophagy sort of a state to get. And because of that, you are getting this, this boost of energy. Um, which is probably why the wheels fall off later because you're, you know, you've depleted that, um, that nutrient, whatever it is. But, you know, in the natural environment, that energy would probably be used to go hunt something. But in this, you know, environment, you're now, I don't know, going to, be more productive work or <laughs> whatever the case may be. And right. I, I think that, that can explain a lot of it. Um, you're effectively fasting without fasting, I think can explain what a lot of people feel early on in those kind of diets. And of course, the of processed foods, I think that nobody would really look, now some people actually look at a Beyond Burger and say, oh yeah, that's healthier than an actual hamburger. But um, I think most people would say, mm, no, this is more about environmental concerns, which I think are debatable, um, but you know, such and such process of creating such and such meat product is harmful and uses this resource and that resource according to this source, again, debatable. And that's why this is a good idea because not everybody really wants to be vegan, but we all should be vegans because of the virtue and all that, whatever. Um, I think that that's probably the more compelling argument is actually a, a health concern with these, uh, you know, processed meats and stuff. I think most people will actually acknowledge it. Yeah, it's probably not the best thing to eat every day. But you're right about that euphoric feeling. So beginning of this year, I did a 21-day water fast. So like from January oh, wow. 2nd to the 23rd, I did a 21-day water fast. And there were, I mean, there's obviously with any kind of fast that long, there's some rough patches and stuff and having to calculate and get, kind of get your electrolytes back in order and stuff. And, um, mm -hmm. but I just, I just did a seven-day water fast like last week. Because I try to do a couple of those a year. I just think that's, better than any kind of juice cleanse or anything you can do. It's really, really yeah. easy. You just don't eat. Are you guys, you're, you said you're in Florida, right? No, I'm in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Okay. My dad's from South Bend. Nice. Yeah. But, um, that's a cool little place. What was I going to say before you said that? <laughs> like I the fasting and, uh, and, Oh, yeah, and the, like kind of better than like a juice cleanse kind of thing. Yeah, I was gonna wonder if they're, if they're getting the commercials for the juice cleanses back there because I thought we as a society passed juice 
cleanses and they're starting to advertise those again. They started to advertise those like in the middle of COVID out here. Uh, last year, I was kind of like, really? Are we doing that again? Juice cleanse? I have no idea. Honestly, I only on. see like Facebook ads. I don't see commercials because we're like, uh, we cut the cord years ago. No, I only, I only hear it on the radio when I'm driving around. Uh, but it's just correct. I was like, really? Juice cleanses, huh? You're not. Because I mean, I don't see like I used to see like juice cleanse stuff and you know the uh, what the, the super detox with the lemon juice and the cayenne pepper that crap that used to be a big thing. And then it's die off, and I'm seeing all these all this keto product now on, on the shelves, which is kind of a mixed blessing, right? Kind of makes it really, like, oh, really I that it's, I mean, most people that know me, I was the first time they'd ever heard of this whole keto thing. So I'm going on ten years of it now, and. Uh, they're like, they're like, hey, it, it, you know, it's, it's pretty mainstream now. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, keto doesn't usually look like a chocolate milkshake for the most part. It looks an awful lot like food without, you know, without something white on the side of it. Um, but you know, at least, you know, these people are starting to get hip to the idea that maybe you don't actually need uh, carbs to call it a complete meal. And, you know, I think that's, I'll call that a step in the right direction. But Jesus Clinton, yeah, I was blown away. Like that, that came back. I was like, oh, God damn it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff. Like, like that. you'll see a lot of that, like multi tier marketing and stuff. And even when I first started oh, doing keto, there were a lot of people that were coming to me. Oh, I'm doing this juice cleanse. You want to do it too? And it's only like $7,000 for six bottles. And I'm like, no, thanks. Or whatever. What, how much it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, they're like, oh, I'm doing I, it. It makes I, me feel I wonderful. Money. I have yeah. so much money on the table by just not taking it from, from Gobble. People <laughs> got too much of a moral compass. And yeah, that's like, more I, you know, how much money? Soul. How much money could we be making if we were selling that NAT stuff? The what? Like the NAT, uh, the ketone stuff. It's like NAT. I don't know what. I don't. I don't know. I know. I see the uh, drinks and like my cousin's uh, wife was drinking some the other day and yeah, like the uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Like that's that, that's leaving a lot of money on the table, and then I think like you know I'm yeah. doing like the podcast and I'm doing YouTube videos like showing how to cook keto foods and stuff, and and I kind of wonder like how much money am I going to turn down once I get a presence big enough to where the people want to give me money to talk about their products, because yeah. chances are I'm not going to want to sell their stuff. So, yeah, I remember, uh, I think, you know, Vinny Todorich. Uh, yeah, I know the, I know the name. I, uh, yeah, he's, a, I've been on the show a few times, super nice guy. Um, but he's always said that, you know, if, if General Mills came to him with a million dollars, he'd tell him to go get lost. But if General Mills came to him with $2 million, he'd take the money. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's probably me. <laughs> he came with me with enough money. Uh, I, would, I would absolutely sell out because uh, there's a certain point where my uh, my family's future is going to stand ahead of uh, any moral compass I have because they got to keep the you know what we got to keep uh, all the priorities in line here. But well, uh, General Mills really is. I mean, so so General Mills is the company behind the Wonderworks keto cereal. Oh, and I, I know that you're pulling yeah. like General Mills out of the air, but so you can go to like Walmart and there's a there's a cereal called Wonderworks keto friendly cereal. I don't know. Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have and actually. So, yeah, it's 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 basically whey protein, cellulose, and a couple other little things, and it didn't look like it was that bad. Yeah, I have a couple boxes in the in the pantry because I mean obviously I do the YouTube thing and and we'll find things like that and we'll buy them and test them out. They're pretty good. Mm -hmm. I mean, they give me gas. 
I mean, as of like most <laughs> actual like legitimate, not so bad for you keto stuff typically tends to do that. So, I mean, at least it doesn't give you diarrhea, but it, you know, you're going to be like bloated and kind of gassy and stuff. But yeah, I guess yeah. there's now, worse I've been, things, I've been gifted a few of those things. I was gifted uh, cereal school and they're, I think, kind of the same idea. It's like these, these protein puffs with different kinds of sweeteners on it, whatever. And yeah, same issue. Um, at least that, you know, we have different, if you wanted the keto junk food, you can do better than the, the maltol sweetened, uh, Russell Stover's, which I think everybody who goes keto makes that mistake once. Uh, no, my wife buys them still. She, oh, really? even though oh, she I understands. Can, I cannot do those. No, I can't. I, no, I, she pays the price, but she still goes <laughs> no. back and gets them. Cause she's a nurse and they'll sell them she's at got, her, uh, at the little gift shop and, and the, at her work. And she's like. She'll come home and she'll rush right by me. Love you, babe. I've had Russell Stover's today. <laughs> I'm like, you got to uh, stop doing that. And she's like, I yeah. got to stop doing that. I mean, it could be. I mean, yeah. it, it's, there's the Lily's ones. The Lily's ones are a little bit better. I still don't really like those so much. But I mean, just even the chocolate is actual, like, not a natural peanut butter. I think that even, even tastes better. But uh, yeah, I mean, I had to, I, the first time I did that with uh, the Russell Stover's peanut butter cups, I think I had to install a seatbelt on the toilet. It was pretty, pretty horrible. Yeah, you still get the nightmares about that one. One of the but, worst mistakes yeah. <laughs> I made recently is I made a video. I would happen to be at the grocery store and like the little unsweetened packets of Kool-Aid, they had them on, on clearance. So I picked up a couple. I'm like, I haven't had Kool-Aid. There was no maltodextrin in it, just like the different color, like whatever dyes in it, some acidic, you know, some acidic acid or whatever it's in it. And yeah. then I came home and I was like looking at the different sweeteners that I had in my pantry. I was like, I'll try allulose. And I made a picture of it with allulose. Tasted really good until later that night. It was yeah, brutal. Allulose to be used in moderation. Uh, and that one I'm, I'm pretty good with. I, I don't, you know, I really endorse making the sweet stuff the backbone of the diet. But I, I mean, I'm a human. I'll, I'll make them for special occasions or whatever. Um, if I need like to sweeten a drink, I'll usually do the, the little droppers. Um, by the little dropper stevia or the little droppers of uh, sucralose or whatever you want, I'll use that to a sweetened drink. But uh, I'll do I do cheesecakes and caramels and different things, and the allulose works really good. But I have to basically limit myself to like one little tiny serving, or I'm going to pay the price for it. Well, I've never had any adverse effects from allulose before, but this is the first time that I've ever put it in a drink. I think so. I I've made things probably, with allulose, like a quantity thing, stuff, right? Probably a quantity thing. I mean, if you're drinking a glass of it, you probably have you know, a couple of tablespoons of allulose in that big glass of it. Right. You know, to get it sweet enough. But it's, yeah, it's going to hit you hard. Um, it really you know, did. It was, definitely, I was awake time, all night. I'll, 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 fall down like, I'll fall down like this spiral of, of keto junk food every so often. I mean, I still love sweets. I got a sweet tooth. Um, you better, honestly, if I just like cut out sweet stuff completely. But the temptation is always there. Um but there's, yeah, I definitely get to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. I just need to do a full reset, going to go back to just for, you know, week two, and then you go back to, you know, meat and vegetables after that. And, um, you know, no nuts, no cheese, no sweeteners, no nothing. And just take care of myself and do a little bit of reset because if you get caught in that trap, it definitely, you know, you're, you're going to, with the sweet stuff, I mean, sweetened beverages aren't necessarily that bad, but sweetened like food, you're, you're, the whole point of something tasting sweet, I think Trochalasian said this first, and he really kind of went through for me, is that something tastes sweet for one purpose, and that purpose is to make you consume more of it, right? 
Like you can't drink a, a gallon of iced tea if it's not sweetened. But you sweeten ga- uh, iced tea, yeah, you can drink a gallon of it, no problem. And, and that's what, and that's like that Twitter conversation we had over the last couple of days, where I was like, where, and I think it started because people were saying that the uh, the artificial sweeteners aren't going to cause an insulin response and such. And I'm like, whether or not they make an insulin response, there's still something for me. Again, mm-hmm. anecdotally, that if I start eating, you know, whatever it is with artificial sweeteners in it, whether it be Quest bars or whatever the case is. I'm going to eat a lot of those because then it starts bringing back all the tendencies that I had pre-keto where I was eating, you know, like almost an entire bag of Oreos. I would eat Oreos until I was almost sick. Yeah. So no, you I, can I, remove the, fa- the real sugar and put the fake sugars in, but it's not going to change how my body interprets that and wants to continue yeah. eating it yeah. as much you, as I can. You have no way. You have no way at the mouth level of knowing if that's sugar or not, right? So your right. body's going to act accordingly, and it doesn't matter what the chemical response is. You know, you got the, the dopamine in your brain. You get that little, that little ping, that little response of, uh, of things lighting up saying, yeah, this is the good stuff. You don't want more of that. And pretty soon you've eaten a whole block of cream cheese or whatever else you're eating. And it's like, I don't really care what's going on with insulin or if it's going to cause, I mean, if it's the insulin, the blood sugar, whatever, that's going to lead to like a pathological state. But it does trigger overeating. And, you know, I'm lucky that, you know, I, I talk about, you know, I, I run uh, the erratic community called Keto Drunk. is the largest uh, community on the internet devoted to low carbohydrate alcohol consumption. I really don't actually drink that much. Um, but I have the luxury of being able to drink like a drink and stop. And other people don't. And I think that that's a good analogy for people is to understand that if I have something sweet, if I have an Oreo or something or a slice of pie, that pie is right there in the front of my mind until that pie is completely gone, right? Until I've finished eating that entire pie, that's the only thing I'm thinking about, which is what I understand a lot of people who are alcoholics think about when they have like that one beer. All they're thinking about is the rest of the beers in the fridge. I, I, I go and I need them, I need them. And, you know, I, you can't say I don't feel that or I don't think that because I literally do. I, it's like literally what my thoughts are. It's like, how do I get, how do I, how do I get more pie without looking like a complete glutton? Right. Over Christmas, my wife had gone out on a work thing to um, a Cheesecake Factory, and she brought home yep. a couple slices of regular cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. Like one was like this cookie dough, uh, this cookie dough cheesecake. And I had I had one bite that well, the, the first bite that I had, I should say, was like a euphoric like this is so good. And then I had a couple mm-hmm. more bites. Then the last bite was just kind of like. Man, but my brain was like, eat more. Even though yeah. it didn't taste as good as that first bite, it's still like, yeah. I mean, even the realization of that is still huge, but it's still like you just want to eat. It's not, There's still some here. Why am I not eating it? Yeah. You know, it's hard. I, well, I, the only really way that I've been able to bracket that sort of behavior for myself is that, um, you know, I start late in the day. <laughs> Wouldn't have my carbs. Wouldn't have my junk food. I have to start late in the day. You know, if it's Thanksgiving or whatever, or Christmas, I don't have breakfast or lunch. I'll have my my dip. and then you know I go to bed and I wake up and it's a ne- it's a new day. You know, I, I try to limit myself because I know that's a fool's errand. Um, I, I eat until I'm satisfied of the foods that I want, and then it's a new day and I wake up and I have a big old cup of black coffee, and I get back to the you know, I call it normal. People call it a diet. I call it normal. 
Right. And that's really the only way I've been able to like effectively do it. You know, my, my brain, you know, they say moderators versus uh, abstainers. Uh, I'm definitely a moderator, at least when it comes to sugar. Um, though oddly, I've experimented, you know, I, like last year uh, over Thanksgiving, I experimented with starches, potatoes and bread and stuff. And they definitely don't trigger me the same way they do, which is actually interesting too. Um, you know, I used to like, if I have a piece of bread, you know, bread and butter, I'll eat a whole loaf of bread. I didn't have that same urge anymore. But the pecan pie did definitely, you know, it haunted the dreams. <laughs> um, I love pecan pie. It's, it's the best pie. I mean, I don't think anybody really should should try to debate that because they're just lying to themselves. It's very true. I'm like the only one in the house who likes it, though. So like, if I buy one, you know, like, I'm the only one who's going to eat it. Oh, man, that was like the, the, the thing the baker I used to work at is they did these pecan bars. And since they were for Starbucks, they all had to look exactly the same. Right. So the quality control was very strict. If they were too light or if they were too dark or if they weren't cut exactly the right way, um, they were rejected. And they all ended up in the employee lounge. And the days that they cooked that, the whole place smelled like pecan pie. And, uh, God, you know, they were they were free to the beach. And I tried to stay good like most days, but on the pecan, pecan bar day, yeah, I, I visited the employee lounge a few times. <laughs> And I mean, that's like to be expected. So like, to me, this isn't a diet. So like, if I have like a cheat day, I don't really consider it a cheat day because this is my lifestyle. This is how I live on a day-to-day -day basis. And yep. I'm an adult and I understand, and, and I'm fully aware of how my actions are going to impact me. Like if I eat whatever, you know, if I'm eating too many like low carb wraps or if I go to uh, Costco and buy the low carb bread or whatever, I know how that's going to impact me. It's going to make my joints sore. I'm going to feel bloated. I'm probably going to be gassy. Am I blowing my diet? No. Am I going to gain a bunch of weight? I'll gain some, but it's not like the, it's not like I'm going and eating ice cream and Oreos and whatever. But even if I felt like I wanted to have something like that, I understand the consequences and I think that's the biggest part or the biggest advantage I can see for this sort of lifestyle, whether it's super strict keto or super strict carnivore or like that ketovore or whatever, what, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. I think that the advantage is it gives someone like me who had no control over their diet at one point in time in their life a lot more control. Now I don't have 100% control because I don't think any of us ever do, but I have the tools, the knowledge to navigate life that is loaded with opportunities to eat things that I shouldn't eat or I don't want to eat um, that I don't want in my everyday life. And I think mm -hmm. that's the major advantage. Yeah, and what I've what I've done um, some time ago was I, I had like a mindset shift, you know, this idea of a cheat day, right? It was something that I would I would do regularly, you know, I'd just um, sort of cocoon myself in my apartment and I'd get my box of Oreos and my pint of ice cream or whatever, and I'd watch horror movies and drink beer and eat my junk food, right? But at some point, I'm like, why am I doing this? Now, this is, these aren't special. I'm... This isn't a cheat. Cheating on your diet would be like taking amphetamines, right? Because that's what cheating is. Cheating is getting an unfair advantage uh, in, in a competition, right? That's what, that's what cheating is. If you're cheating on your diet, all you're doing is cheating yourself, right? So right. Um, I call them treats. And if you think about it as a treat instead of a cheat, well, the treat should be something worth it, right? So 
I realized and it became very apparent over the last year. I realized that, you know, I lived through, you know, through 9-11 and then I lived through the Great Recession in 2008, or, you know, the, the dot-com boom and then the Great Recession and everything else. I lived through COVID and there was no toilet paper on the shelves and everything. But you know what was always there? Oreos. Ice cream. All that crap was always there. Why? Because it's churned out by the millions by robots with no love in some factory thousands of miles away. This is not grandma's pie or cookies. This is not an anniversary special. This is not a Michelin-rated chef preparing something specifically for you on your special day. If you really want it, if the one thing standing between you and actual true in your soul happiness is $2.99 on the shelf at Safeway right now, just go get it. I mean, if that's really what's actually keeping you from being happy, just go get it. It's always going to be there. Go get it. But if you say, mm, is it really that special? Is it really worth it? Maybe not. And that has led me to be like, okay, I, I'm not going to feel guilty if I'm going to go off that. I'll, I'll say about the diet break. I'll take a, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll t- have a treat. And, you know, okay, it's my anniversary. We're going to go out to a nice meal. And I'm not going to worry about, you know, the mashed potatoes that come on the plate. I'm going to have some. And we're going to split a nice reasonable dessert. It's going to be a very high quality. And I'm going to have a glass of wine. Maybe I'll even have a beer. Oh, there's carbs in that. How many? I don't know. Am I going to be up a few pounds? Maybe. Um, am I not going to feel very great the next day? I'm not. Is that going to be worth it for this one experience that I have at once at a very rare time? Maybe. It might be. And if it is, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to feel no guilt. If I'm on vacation, sir, there's some regional delicacy that I literally can't get at home. Like, for example, I live in Northern California. Our motto in Northern California is we have everything you have and ours is better. Okay, that's the, that's the city, that's the, the whole motto of Northern California, except barbecue. We don't, we do not have very good barbecue. Um, there's actually, there's one place called Stay Gold in Oakland that I recommend if you're ever in the area. But uh, for the most part, the barbecue scene here is very crap. Um, so if I'm ever in Austin, Texas, or any of the other places do good barbecue, I have the good barbecue. And I have the potato salad with it. I have the sliced white bread with it. And I have the barbecue sauce with it. Because that whole combination is not something I can get in any kind of decent quality at home. Now, in that area, once a year, once every two years, I'm going to have it. My birthday comes right, around like- once a year. I'm going to have, the, I'm going to have a, cake, a cake that my wife makes me with her own two hands. Because she knows how to make some of the best big goods I have ever had in my life. My, my wife is an genius baker, <laughs> which annoys her to know, and I don't normally eat that stuff. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, she, she has an out with, uh, her, with our neighbors and with her coworkers and stuff. But, um, yeah, she really likes to go out my day, which I appreciate very deeply. Um, and uh, she just really delivers some amazing stuff. And I, I enjoy every bite because it's worth it and it's special. But a lot of the stuff that people just go off the rails for is not special. It really, really isn't because it's always there. There's no love in it. There's no feeling in it. It's just some robot machine spit out on a conveyor belt, you know, and then it got packed up and put in a car and shipped to your grocery store. Same as every other. You guys have something that I don't have access to, and that's In and Out Burger. (laughs) And I know, and I'm I'm sure to you, it's probably like seeing a McDonald's or whatever, but for someone like me, like the closest In and Out Burger to me is a thousand miles away in Dallas, Texas. Be- <laughs> and I'm glad that they I, sell I it in this. Dallas. Do what now? I will say this. Um, In-N-Out Burger is the best fast food burger I have ever had. Uh, I've, been, I've been lucky that I've been able to travel all over the United States. I've had Whataburger. I've had Culver's. 
I had Shake Shack and Smash Burger and Umami Burger, all these other ones that are sort of like regional specialties that everybody claims the best burger. And I'm open to the idea that there is something better than an out burger, but there isn't. You know, I'm like, everybody here from Texas is like, no, Whataburger is better. I don't know. It's, it, it really is. Whataburger it's, is it's good really, really because good. before I, because just like back in May, I was down in, in Dallas. And so I had to stop by. And like you said, we, I went to uh, In-N-Out Burger. Now I got my burgers protein style. So, you know, without the bun. But then I still am like, well, I'm here. I'm going to get their fries and I'm going to get a Neapolitan shake. Because I'm here and it's a mm-hmm. thousand miles away and I haven't had it since the last time I'd had uh, In-N-Out Burger was uh, 20, 2016. It was like just a few months after I started keto- the ketogenic diet. So it had been like almost five years since I'd had in an out burger. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go all out. I don't get this very often. Usually I get it if I'm in Las Vegas or now what if I'm down in Dallas. And then on my flight out, uh, right by my gate was a Whataburger. I'm like, okay, we don't have Whataburgers anywhere near us either. There's no real fast food places in Indiana that I'm like, oh, I don't covet McDonald's. I don't care about Hardee's or Wendy's or even Taco Bell, which I used to eat a lot. I don't, those just don't do it for me. But something about like In N Out Burger, I'm like, okay, the closest one's a thousand miles away. Now, Whataburger, we don't have those. Now, I may have some Whataburger, we'll be in um, Alabama next month for vacation down in Gulf Shores. So, on the way back to the interstate, we pass a Whataburger, so I may stop and have some. But to me, like, it's easy to mitigate that because I don't eat fast food here because there's nothing that makes me yeah. want it. And that's, you know, it's supposed to sound like you know, it's a regional specialty that you don't get to have at home. And if you leave, you're not going to be able to have the experience. Call it an experience, you know. Is it about the food? Yeah, kind of. But, you know, I've also been on vacation to, uh, uh, you know, on work trips to Switzerland. Oh. And it had stuff there that, that to there is, you know, it's just, it's the regular food. It's fondue, whatever. I've had actual fondue before. It's bread dipped in cheese. I've had that before, but I haven't had fondue in Switzerland before. I had it. it was good. To them, it's, you know, everyday food. But I had it and I enjoyed it. Um, so I, you know, I definitely think that kind of stuff, you look into your soul and you say, is it actually worth it? And, you know, make a call, be an adult. Um, you know, because you, you can go anywhere and you can get a you know, piece of meat and some cheese and some vegetables and some eggs whatever. Which is what I do if I'm ever staying anywhere in any kind of extended national just do the grocery store and get a big pile of, uh, you know, all that stuff. And you know, people don't realize you can go to the grocery store, get a big bag of, you know, ready-to-eat hard-boiled eggs for a couple of bucks and, you know, uh, salami, cheese, fresh, fresh stuff in the deli. They'll have, you know, chicken and tri-tip and everything else in most, uh, um, you know, any chain grocery store. So it's easy to stay keto on the road. Um but if you're in some places that does something you can't get at home or it's special, it's going to be a memory, you know, make a judgment call. Because, I mean, I love it because I'll be in the car and I get, like, ketchup, mustard, some pickles on it. And my wife <laughs> hates mustard. So just the idea that I've got something in the car that I'm eating sitting next to her with mustard on it is almost <laughs> worth the price of admission in of itself. Mustard is the best condiment. I've got at least really four different is. kinds of mustard in my I, I, in my in my I've got horseradish mustard. I got a whole grain mustard. I got regular yellow mustard, and I've got a hot German mustard in my fridge right now. And that's typical. I usually have at least four different kinds of mustard in my fridge at any given time. Yeah, but I'm I the only one I in the house. I can't imagine not liking mustard. What? 
Yes. I'm the only one in the house that likes a lot of stuff. Like I'm the only one in the house that likes sardines. I've got a huge stack of sardines in there. I've got, and no uh, one's going to eat them. I know that when I come home and if I want some sardines and mustard, it's going to be there. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I had uh, when my wife and I, when my wife and I moved in together, uh, I am no longer to eat uh, mackerel directly out of the can with the fork in the house. I've got a can of mackerel. I've never, I, I bought it just to try because I was like, Costco started selling the big cans, of, like the big stacks of it. And I'm like, well, yeah. I don't want to buy a big stack of it and, and not like it. So I'll buy one can and I still yeah. get to open it. But yeah, you used to tell them down, we got around here, we got a chain called Grocery Out, which I'll talk about on my Twitter a lot. It's sort of like a they buy overstock of stuff at different grocery stores. They usually have some weird stuff um, or also some like really high end stuff, like really high end cheeses and, and, um, that kind of you know uh imported pickles and it's like a sort of overstock over there so a lot of it's like off honestly off brand but brands you haven't heard of um or things you don't often find in grocery stores so like tucked off to the side and they were selling cans of mackerel i think they're for like a buck for these 13 ounce cans of mackerel so it's you know price of a can of tuna but it's five times as much uh and i love it but it is vicious fish like the what the essence that makes fish fishy it has a lot of it <laughs> so you just have to kind of know what you're getting into uh see i don't mind that but um uh, a lot of people do so <laughs> you know it was you know when i was when i was single it'd be something if i had a you know a date that night i would avoid it uh, or you know if i was at work i'd, I'd have that for lunch i'd bring a toothbrush that day uh, just in case i had to talk to a customer or my boss or something uh but yeah it's a it's it's delicious if you like, like the the essence of what makes fish fishy. <laughs> if you don't like that, you're not gonna like mackerel. But you eat sardines, so you're probably you're probably already heading down that path. And I remember, and I don't know how long ago this was, but I remember on on Twitter you were talking about being on a work trip. This is probably like 2018, maybe. But it's yeah. something that stuck in my brain. So you were talking about being on a on a work trip in a hotel. And you were just buying like strip steaks and just eating them raw in your hotel room. Yep. Yeah, that was a blast. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. And then I'll eat like, mm -hmm. I'll post on like my Facebook or something that I've had like, that I like take a big filet or something like that or a big roast or something. And you'll get to like a real tender part. And I'm like, I'm just going to cut a couple pieces of that off for me, put in a bowl, put some salt on it and have a good time with it. I mean, it's nothing fancy, yeah. but it's like deep on the inside, whatever. And then people are like, I can't believe you're eating that. That's so gross. And I'm like, this is oh, like man. candy. Yeah, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, well, not, not so much anymore, but I, I, I do like to do raw. because It's easy. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm given a, like a, a meal allowance. And, you know, sometimes it'll put me up in like a extended stay place where I have like a little kitchen. At, and sometimes there won't be a little kitchen. Um, but you know, if I've got a $40 allowance for dinner. I can go get a pretty decent cut of good meat that is going to be, you know, handled correctly for 40 bucks. You know, I can get a, you know, pound or, you know, maybe a couple pounds worth of uh, uh, grass tenderloin or something and, some, you know, butter to go with it or if I need a little more fat on it um, for that. And, you know, that, that with some salt and pepper is delicious, just, just raw. Uh, I've done a, a full week of just raw carnivore where I ate um, nothing raw meat. Uh, raw red meat and uh, fish. Uh, just as an experiment, you know, I was traveling, couldn't cook anything, wanted to just give it a shot and see how I felt. Um, 
you know, did it the, uh, you know, with a little bit of headroom in case he'd be sick. And it didn't. I felt great the whole time. But, I mean, I don't think it's as pleasant as some other things. I, it's more of a convenience thing. And then uh, there was a time, um, there's a uh, local sort of high-end Mexican market uh, near me at work. They were selling uh, the, it was bottom round, beef bottom round. It was fairly lean. But it was already cut in like little strips for doing fajitas. And I was eating that like salad. <laughs> like I just put some in a bowl, already cut up. And I, I, I had like, and I had like the, um, uh, what is it? The, um, What's the name of the company? You know, all the spice mixes, and this is like a a steak rub with like salt and pepper and garlic and something else on it, maybe chili powder, and it's it's in a little grinder, and I'm putting that on it, mixing it up, and just eat it with a fork. And so I'm I'm on my computer at my standing desk, and I'm in doing typing, grab a bite, and my 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 office across the way is like, is he, are you just eating a bowl of raw meat? I'm all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a savage. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, kind of, I guess. But I guess delicious. But, you want some? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want some? Yeah. I just out of uh, to avoid conflict, I'm in a little bigger office now, and there's a vegetarian in there with her, with me. So you know, we <laughs> we bond over cheeses and avocados, but um, the rest of our Venn diagram is, is very separate. Um, but she's sweet, and I don't want to like I don't want to be like you know aggressively uh, eating in her face. Um, especially if I don't really have to, so I, I'll, 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 you know, at least, at least till she gives me some nonsense about meat, you know, causing a heart attack, then, then I'll, you know, <laughs> then I'll respond, but she's too sweet, so I'm not going to do that. Well, I do appreciate that, this conversation. You said you had a hard out in about just a couple of minutes, so. Yeah, I got it going. So if you want to go ahead, so you are on Twitter at steak and iron yep i am at steak and iron on twitter that's really for the the diet fitness keto carnivore sort of stuff that's really where you want to find me um i'm everywhere else too um you search steak and iron um on google you find a bunch of other podcasts that i've been on uh you know i wear a lot of hats you know i i do you know competitive robotics i coach engineering i do cooking stuff i i, I do the diet and fitness and whatever um i do the shit posting in a number of like politically active meme groups <laughs> but uh, you know the, for the relevant content here come on on twitter um if you're not already on my twitter um it's not for kids there's some swearing. <laughs> there's adult subjects <laughs> being discussed frequently um so be aware but i it's all in fun um, and I think, I think that especially if you knew me from back, you know, back when I first kind of started my account, uh, I think I'm a kind of gentler steak and iron than I used to be. I think I'm getting soft in my old age, but, it's all uh, those you know, we have a lot of fun. A lot of cookies. Actually, hang on. Cause I'm required to, uh, required to wear a mask for work. I decided I might as well get the best mask. <laughs> corgis and corgis and pizza. Actually, I can't really take credit for this. Uh, my wife got me a pack of these back at the very beginning of COVID. Um, she says, well, if you gotta, if you gotta wear something in the office, wear something to you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so she got me that. So I have to maintain a certain, a certain minimal level of whimsy, um, to go on top of my, my blue Flamingo shirt that, uh, you can see I've got going on here. That's it's quite it. a look. Well, I, I appreciate you being here. Like I said, you're one of the first people I thought of when I started this podcast. And That's an honor. Yeah. 
I mean, you're awesome. I love following you on Twitter. You make me laugh yeah. and and it's it's awesome because you push back on people and and I think there's there's not I mean, and but it's in a way that's not like counterproductive in most cases. You know what I mean? Cuz well, I think I can, there's a certain level people of know is that what all people know is that you can learn from anybody. Uh, you, you do not know everything. The person you're talking to does not know everything. If they claim they do, they're probably trying to sell you something. But um, I want to push back against any of the, the you know, dogmatic types who say that they have all the answers because they don't. And nobody does. Even if you know what's best for you, which you don't, um, you don't know for anybody else. And it's all about us all finding our own way and communicating with each other and you know, trying to find you know, our version of the truth, whatever that is, if it's diet, if it's fitness, if it's happiness, if it's, you know, connectedness with the world around us, um, it's all about trying new things and, you know, not being locked into where you are now. I, I got to where I am, you know, physically and, you know, uh, philosophically and uh, morally, ethically, everything by thinking that maybe I didn't know everything. Just maybe, maybe I didn't actually know as much as I thought I did. And that has led me to change my mind about a lot of things. Uh, last couple of decades. So I encourage everybody else to keep that open mind. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Again, I do appreciate it. It's been wonderful. We'll have to do this again. And I have a great rest of your day, bud. Hey, you as well. Take care now. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.